Cast. This is Caleb. This is Chris. That was the sound of John Williams. Richard Attenborough has passed away today. Yeah. This is breaking news. Today. He was 90 years old. Of course, I best know him as playing the professor in Jurassic Park. Right. So. I remember him from The Great Escape. He was, he was in a lot of movies from the 60s and Yeah, he and was 70s. 90. Yeah. And uh, as a director, he won two Academy Awards for Gandhi in 1983. Right. Now, that is a long-ass movie, Gandhi. Yeah. Very good movie. Right, right. <laughs> but boy, did they need to pace that up a little bit. Well, it told a very com- you know complex story. That was, in in American schools, you don't get the history of India normally. Yeah, you uh, mainly see option. Gandhi in Apple commercials <laughs> right. in American schools. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's... As a guy it's, who was thought different and was kind of quiet revolutionary and, you know... Right. So so the thing is, when you're telling that story, you have to sort of give all these details in the backgrounds of who all these people are. It's not enough just to introduce the guy's name and, and, and oh, this character's coming in to consult with you. You have to... You have to present him in such a way that people identify his his position in the government and and, and every little detail of Gandhi. You know that he, the fact that he came from uh, that he that he was educated in in uh, England and Europe and he had a you know background in the Bible, background in different religions and stuff is relevant because he communicates across all these different cultures and stuff as an Indian and. In the movie, while it's not a very active part of the movie, you still have to show that presentation of him early on where he witnesses. It's true. It, it is a uh, great movie. I really yeah. enjoy the movie. But this this guy has acted in so much stuff. Attenborough, yeah. And then he started directing in 69, Oh, What a Lovely War. Right. Young Winston, A Bridge right. Too Far, Magic. Oh, right. Then did like four in a row. Gandhi, A Chorus Line, Cry Freedom. Chaplin? I didn't know he directed Chaplin. Wow. I love Chaplin. These are just amazing careers. That I wasn't familiar with how much stuff he directed. And then Jurassic Park in 93, he was... That was way into his career. You know, that he kind of reinvented himself a the little The twilight bit. of his career. Yeah. yeah. But but his early career, he was just always in these major productions mm-hmm. with these ensemble casts. You know, the, the Great Escape is just one of the amazing movies you almost never get tired of. Of watching it, it's, it's so many different stories happening at the same time with this escape, you know. And uh, that's it, with Steve McQueen. Everybody was in that. Steve McQueen's in that. Uh, James Garner's in that. Um, you know, there's all there's a there's a bunch of you know major British characters, British mm-hmm. actors in it, and then there's you know a handful of Americans, and and Germans. Um, but the story follows. Uh, who is it? Coburn. Is it James Coburn? In the Great but, Escape. Yeah. You almost have to pull it up, but I mean, there was like a dozen different. You seem to be fixating on time. that one. I I just remember that was the first yeah. one I'd seen him in, and and his name was like way at the beginning of the credits. Dude, Jurassic Park gets better every time I see it. That movie <laughs> okay. is pure genius. That's fine. That movie becomes my go-to movie of this is how you structure a movie. Right. Like Adam was just talking about this the other day. Right. He was saying. I don't Adam care, Carolla. Adam Carolla. He's like, I don't care what premise you give me. If you're like, oh, there was the flies and they drank the blood and they're in sap and now it's right. thousands of years later and we have the the bugs and the DNA. Like that's fine. Just tell me your logic and explain it, yeah. and then I'll follow you down any path. Yeah, and that's what we're looking for in a movie. Yeah, 
that you're you gonna you're gonna have a you gotta it you all gotta makes dis- sense suspend your disbelief. You just need something to some yeah. kind of a some kind of a framework to. It's consistent in movie logic. Yeah, and every character in that movie served this great significant and represented these different points of views. Right, and he, you know, he kind of threw caution to the wind, and then you had. Um, Jeff Goldblum, who was a scientist, but he was he was more cautious. Like we shouldn't mess with nature; well, stuff's math- gonna happen. He's a mathematician. Life finds a way. Is his famous line. And right. Well, and, he's and a, he's a math reproduce, and we're playing like God here. You know, he's a mathematician philosopher in this thing, mm-hmm. and he's he's the one guy. He he's got like a completely different. He's a an, very analytical outlook on this thing, and he doesn't care. I remember this is what I loved about the movie because you had all these different scientists and they're all applauding the progress. You know that these guys yeah. are at the forefront of the science and they're pushing boundaries. And you have these genetic, you know, there's these geneticists and and who was the guy that wrote it? Crichton, Michael Crichton, who was a medical doctor before he became a writer. Yeah. So he's he's a scientist. He's a doctor. Is his background? And then he researches all these things. You know, whenever he does his movies and stuff like that. So you, he he's got a mind for all these details and stuff. But what I, you love about it is. He gives he gives quite a bit of scientific detail and stuff uh, on on the genetic sort of things, and then the, there's the computer systems get pretty sophisticated. You know, they, they get into an explanation of the sophistication of the computer systems and and the intricacies of the mechanics, and then even of the they have the weapon systems to you know to do these things and, and the plant life and all these other different details. And Jeff Goldblum comes in. Knows nothing about dinosaurs or any of the other stuff, but just as a mathematician looks at it as a mathematician would and says, "Look, there's not I uh, I don't know, you know, the details of any of these individual scientists science aspects. All I know is you've got a hundred different forefronts of technology, yeah, and and on any one of them, there's a you know just because you're at the boundary, you're going to run across." Issues that always just happens when you're at the forefront of technology, and you come out with a new product. You have a long period of testing, and just over the years, anytime anybody comes out with a new technology or a new product, you've got like a dozen of them all coming together at the same time. The chance that it's all going to be safe is, is well, very remote. It's a great man versus nature story that none of the guys had to really be villains in it. Wasn't there one guy who cut the power or something who kind of sabotaged? No, there, there, there's the one villain is, is who's the guy Was Nedry, the computer guy that ambushed he. He he was Samuel Jackson or Wayne Knight. Was Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight. Yeah, yeah. He goes in and he's he he's, he's a villain. really the only one, and that's how they explain why he's a villain on a the, diff- the fences are down and whatever. Right. Well, he the crashes storm. the computer. So he's a villain on a number of things. First of all, he's thinking just of himself. Yeah. He just wants the money. Second of all, he's a computer geek, and he he just lies. He doesn't care. Yeah. He's focused on that. He's not getting enough attention. He's not getting enough credit for what he's doing. He's completely oblivious to everybody else. And then he's just vulnerable. He's just this guy that just you know thinks he's he he can get away with all this stuff. Yeah. So that that was a necessary part. But I like how Attenborough was this sweet loving grandfather right. who who was capitalistic and wanted to do a theme park and make money off of it and stuff, but still knew that oh maybe we should shut it down. You know when when stuff went wrong. Yeah. So a very reasonable character. They didn't need to you know vilify him. Right. And speaking of Spielberg, did you ever see War of the Worlds? With Tom Cruise, uh, I don't think so. Okay, well, that's the th- the thing I didn't like about it is this alien invasion, and Tom Cruise is just Joe Average, divorced right. father with his kids for the weekend, yeah. who now has to drive the kids to their mom, and 
it, that's such a separate story from like an alien invasion. Right. When you think of alien invasion, you want to go Independence Day. Who are the scientists on this? What's yeah. the military doing on this? Right. Who are these important people? So you have this story within a story. In Jurassic Park is like they're all important. That group of like six characters. Right. Well, each one of those characters is interesting important. in its own right. They give the background on them in in a way. That's what Crichton does great. He, yeah. he gives you these details, but he presents them in a way that's interesting. And has the sort of the art mixture of art and truth at the same time, and that's what really makes a writer that he can he can advance the story quickly, make it interesting, and uh, and at the same time, so you're not you know you have enough information that uh, that there's a story there that there's all the this you know that is interesting without getting bogged down in all this you know little details. Yeah, that was what's Brighton Rock. Have you heard of that? No. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, he will be missed. Attenborough, right. He will be missed. Yeah. But we're, you know, we're, we're seeing the, the sort of the end of the baby boomer era. And so we can expect that we're going to see all these, you know, these, there's such a huge chunk of the population is just reaching that age. So we're seeing, yeah. you know, we saw Robin Williams last week. We're seeing uh, Lauren Bacall. We're seeing just all these. There is something about, like, the old British guys living into their nineties, who, who they're trying to sort of go back to London and do some theater and kind of write write a book or something or do bit parts here and there, and it, it's sort of like this huge body. Like they're the guys who work seventy years, yeah. like consistently, yeah. and there's not like this tragic enough depression that kind of makes them have a crazy life. Like, they're very well-adjusted. Stiff upper lip kind of, kind of these, thing. These they just like, endure whatever needs to... Yeah, like, you know, Ian McKellen is such a beloved guy, and he's, he's way old, so... You kind of have to applaud these guys, like, in the business 70 years. Yeah. I, 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 the British have such a... It seems like the British have such a strange way of raising their kids. They, they, seem, to the, they seem to send their kids off to boarding school when they're in, like, grade school or something like that. And then they, the kids just are just parented. It's like by a rite of passage at this point, yeah. Yeah, they're, and so and it just seems like it's so such a cruel thing to take the kids away from their parents at an early age. But it, mm-hmm. uh, and then they just go on, you know. And then by the time they're fourteen or fifteen, they're making decisions about their career. You know, they're either into college or you know trade school or or university or whatever they're doing. But so, but but all the Europeans. Mature seemed to mature much faster than Americans. We have been yeah. in communities where you had American youth and you had uh, European youth, and the U- Europeans are much more mature in their you know in their late teens than than the Americans. The, the Americans, you know, the ki- we just were kids till our twenty, you know, till our early twenties. Yeah. Just don't have a sense of work, a sense of ethics it's, and stuff uh, in general. Like Michael Caine has a good career, yeah. you know. Right, because he's not like over pushing himself, but he's showing up in these bit parts every year. Right. And doing some stuff, right? Well, you know, it's just this. I think I guess it's just menta- just this mentality that work is normal. That it's normal to be working and busy, and just you go on. Mm-hmm. And and there's an element of truth to that. You know, you hear about these guys that work, you know, work steadily, hard at it, you know, for long careers, and then they're it's a different they're start, eighty or if, ninety years because they all got started in, in the theater. Right. right. No, I, I'm not talking about actors per se. I'm talking about just yeah. in general, just guys that are working in a steady career, being fully productive, leading hard at it lives. You know, working, 
40, 50, 60 hour weeks till they're in their seventies, and then within a couple of years of retiring, they're they're dead or they're just yeah. They, I mean, they, you, they, you don't do Gandhi for the chicks, you know. <laughs> you don't. Do, <laughs> yeah, because you're gonna have a great, you know, crazy premiere on a yacht in Long Beach, you know. Right. <laughs> you do it because you just love the history and you love the India and you think and, it's and a difference culture in, and difference in culture. It. Yeah, mentality that they're actually. Well, in American in America. Our celebrities are our royalty. Yeah. You know, we have our politicians. That's a different function. In, in, in Britain, they have, you know, the royals. Yeah. And and uh, and I think that the... And they have rock stars, too, and yeah. and celebrities and stuff like that. But I think, like, actors are, are not the celebrities. You know, in Britain and, and in Europe, I think maybe actors are not the celebrities. Yeah. Here in America, we have these sort of yeah. celebrity status. I don't think we're going to read that Attenborough had a Coke problem. You know? <laughs> I don't think that's going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe James Garner, but whatever. He he figured out a way to be healthy, I guess. Yeah. So I have a story for you. Oh, okay. Well, I worked this 14-hour day that was from 4 p.m. to 6 a.m. This is was way out in, in Rosamond, like past Lancaster. Yeah, I know. I know Rosamond. That's a tiny-ass little town. Yeah, and it was like this... But this is- over an hour and a half drive to get out there. This is you were on the clock for fourteen hours, or you were actually physically laboring for fourteen hours. I was on the clock for fourteen hours. Yeah, I mean this was. But it wasn't all. So it was. It was what? I mean, this was was acting. This was background. So it was a lot of standing movie. around for that time, maybe. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like physical labor. Yeah, okay. but I wasn't sleeping, so right. I was really tired by the time six a.m. came around. Right. So I'm I'm driving home, you know, like fifty minutes into the drive. Yeah. And I'm starting to fall asleep. And I actually get so tired that I have to pull over in some neighborhood near Silmar or whatever and sleep for a half hour. Yeah, no, I've done that many times. And see, I haven't. That. that was my first time doing that. <laughs> and it's been advised to me ever since I took driver's ed at 16. When you're tired, you pull over. Yeah, you're tired, you pull over. That's that's like the common advice. Those, but They weren't talking about Silmar when they told you. <laughs> well... <laughs> When you think so, of that scenario, if you're tired, pull over. I mean, it's always like, well, I don't want to be like, you know, in the middle of the desert, at you know, pulling well, the, over on the side of the road. Well, this, okay. When there are hitchhikers and homeless people that want to kill right. me, right? <laughs> it always seems like just a horrible, dangerous idea no, pulling over and sleeping. I, I, I don't, I don't want to sidetrack your story a little bit, but like the, Summer's got some nice spots, but it's also like borders like Coima and some. Really dodgy areas. <laughs> it's got some nasty. It does. I, I nasty, had it made I don't it know to where the 405 you were. yet. I, I, I don't know where you were, but I, I, there's a lot of places in the desert that would have been a lot better than certain spots in Silmar. <laughs> I don't know either. I just I was still on the five, yeah. but I was near where it meets the 405. Hmm. Okay. So, but it, you know, I, I slept for a half hour, and that was good. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, so I felt proud of myself, actually. There you go. I actually you did, did that. that. Yeah, yeah, I came to Take that. Take that advice. Usually, I mean, I, the longest stretch I've driven was from Portland to San Jose. Yeah. It was like 12 hours of driving. Yeah. And that last, like, two hours of stretch, I just kept slapping my face repeatedly. Yeah. You know, just to stay awake. Yeah. yeah. You know, drinking a bunch of Red Bulls and stuff. Yeah. Well, the worst is when you're when you're within, like... You know, twenty minutes of half an hour of home. Yeah, and you're thinking, I'm only twenty minutes away. I can just make it. And you, but but your eyes are going right, and you just yeah, can't quite keep like... your eyes. And you're, or you're, you know, driving through the desert is hard because out in Lancaster, you're coming through the desert out there, and there's no lights, and you're just looking at that yeah. white line in the middle of the road going by. 
And I had been up for like 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Right, right. Almost at that point. Yeah. That, that was the tough part. No, it's helpful if there's a little bit of traffic or some lights or something, but when it's like 3 or 4 in the morning or something like that, and there's nothing out on the road, it's just that sort of hypnotizing stare. Yeah. <laughs> That's nasty, man. <laughs> you got to pull over. I didn't want to, you know, wake up and find that I had a disfigured face <laughs> and that I came out of surgery. Yeah. So I, I was visiting the hospital during the week. My mom's okay, by the way. Yeah. She's back at home, and she's doing well. Yeah. So that was good. She had, she had a minor surgery. She went in. She got diagnosed went, with something, and went in. Got the got the kidney stones lasered out. Okay. So, yeah. but then that caused an infection, and then yeah. I had to take care of the infection. infection so right. she still has pneumonia, apparently, yeah. but it's just taking some pills for that. Right. Mm-hmm. But so, one of the times I was visiting, I was visiting. And there was a full-on farmer's market going on right in front of the hospital in Woodland Hills, <laughs> which was so bizarre to me, because I get that there's a lot of foot traffic there, but yeah. people are trying to visit, like, sick people. That's right. not like, yeah, no. you don't want to go to the fun farmer's market and, yeah, you know, kind of... No, it's not Disneyland here. Yeah, it's not like Old Town Calabasas where, yeah. you know... No. Where, oh, let's bring the kids to the farmer's market. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, why don't why don't we... Why don't we have a, a, what do they call it, the... Uh... And the parking lots always fill up the hospital anyway. You don't need more people driving in and parking there. Right. And limited parking right. to go to this farmer's market. I was going to say, why don't, we, why don't we make it like a swap meet and have people bring it in and park it in lots yeah. and dumping their junk there. And... But apparently I mean, it's farmer... something they do every Thursday. It was just so bizarre to me that... Well, I don't know. I guess maybe it's because Kaiser's trying to promote this sort of healthier lifestyle, and you want the fresh vegetables and the sort of, I don't know. Maybe it's part of a deal to do that. Yeah, that must have been it. I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Yeah, it just seems. So anyways, it's it's sort of funny. Why is the parking so big here? That's that's the one in Canoga Park, right? Yeah, this was in... Woodland Hills. Because it's not that far from, like, the, the Pierce College, which is, like, the it ranch. It is. It's down the street Agriculture, from that. And they, they used to, I don't know if they still have the farm on the property. They but do. They, 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 they sell fruits and That's the and farmer's right stuff. Yeah. there. They it's open, right like, every day. <laughs> <laughs> they used to have, like, farm fresh eggs and everything. You could go in there and pull the eggs out from under the chickens yourself. It's true. So, so I got her um, some uh, grapefruit on Good. the way in. Good. Yeah. You know, those yeah, aren't. But exactly I didn't realize it, it tasted horrible. Caleb, <laughs> <laughs> she hated grapefruit. I Caleb some grapefruit juice today. He accepted without knowing what grapefruit juice was. I told him. I had that pause, though. I had the. Do I want grape? Grapes in the title. You're grape. <laughs> I never have I drinking grapefruit. There's a reason I haven't drinking grapefruit. If well, I it's a citrus. It's probably sweet, and he drank it, but he's yeah. anticipating something oh, sweet. It was so gross. <laughs> like that cheesecake you fed me. I, I, I warned you about the cheesecake. I, I figured you would know what grapefruit yeah, juice well, was. Yeah. Well, my thought. I mean, well, bad cheesecake is still pretty good, right? I mean, cheesecake is so great. If you're expecting it to taste like cheesecake, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How how genius is it to call a restaurant the Cheesecake Factory? Uh, what stroke of genius is that, Mark? I've never been there, so I don't know how. Oh, genius. you've never been there. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you want to name your restaurant after a dessert or something. Yeah, like that, then sure. you feel like you're obligated to get cheesecake, and you're like, "Well, it is, you know, part of being here. It's, yeah. it's sort of the thing here." Okay. So, you, know, you know how last week we we're talking about polarizing? Yeah. And stuff, and it, 
just in life, like, if something becomes popular enough, it becomes polarizing, right? It's, it's almost like there's a hipster mentality, but then society in general adopts that. If it becomes so popular, it becomes mainstream. Right. And then it becomes, well, it's not cool how it was because now everybody's doing it and likes it and then it starts coming out of under criticism well when, yeah when something when something gets in when something becomes a large movement or something yeah. gets the public attention there's people that embrace it because that's the newest thing and so they want to be on the cutting edge and yeah then, so and then you have other people that genuinely evaluate it and yeah. decide whether it's good or not what are the long-term effects and they're more concerned you know so chris the, this there's social value so yeah, this ice conflict. bucket challenge you know, started off as this great thing, this great gesture of uh, uh, raising awareness for ALS, and it raised, you know, 50 million bucks and counting and stuff, and all these celebrities started doing it and challenging people, yeah. and most of them who did it also donated money, right? Because the thing was, you either do the ice bucket challenge or you donate the money, if someone yeah, challenges somebody challenge, you. Somebody, somebody yeah. dumps ice on their head, but because and people like a challenge... Everyone does. Everybody the wants buckets. to be seen with the bucket. So really, it should be raising no money because everyone is doing it. Doing. But people are nice and they do donate money as well. They they get the point. A right. lot of celebrities do that. So, you know, George Bush has done it, and and Charlie Sheen did it. But he dumped a bucket of cash on his head that was ten thousand dollars, and he said, "I challenged Chuck Lorre and John Cryer and <laughs> Ashton Kutcher and and stuff." So people are doing their own spins on it, but. You know that when Bill Gates does it, he's also donating money, you know. <laughs> okay, right. And stuff. But this last week, it's it's been under such an attack. It became so popular well, that now there's tons of criticism. Or something? No, it's it's not even that. It's it's. I, I thought I heard something on the news about something went wrong somehow with this deal. And I can't remember what there, it was. That's the, the, so ridiculous, the criticisms and, and how people are lashing out against this thing and saying how bad it is. People talk about how California is in a drought and people are <laughs> pouring water on them. And it's like, dude, it's just a bucket of water. Like, yeah. chill out. Yeah, well, if you stand over your plant bed, then... It... I do that when I brush my teeth, you know. Yeah. Come on. And then people are saying, now there's stuff like, oh... You know, the ALS research people, sometimes they use stem cells, or they use embryos, or they oh, use that's something. Oh, that's what was in the news. So there's, yeah. this, there's this counter group now that's a, a religious religious faction. Certainly, certain church groups are are saying that this is they're protesting against it. And it's such a, a throwing the baby out with the bathwater mentality. Like, okay, well, it doesn't mean we're endorsing that or that, that all the research does that or you need general money for research or how about people who already have ALS that are yeah. getting treatment. There's so many ways that money can be used for yeah. that th this is a thing with momentum that you don't want to stop because it it's just a positive thing people are doing and someone it's has to rain on the thing. parade, yeah. you know. Or the p people comparing it to, like, well, it's like, you know, when you wore the the Live Strong bracelet, but no one ever donated, or the uh, the thing of Bring Back Our Girls with the hashtag, or these these bumper stickers, where it's kind of this this preaching to the choir thing. Okay. You know? So, you say something like, uh, you know, I'm against child uh, trafficking, or something. And it's like, 
Well, you know, anyone who sees that bumper sticker is. We're not yeah. we're not gonna be driving behind you on the Fro five. Wow, I should really uh you really turned me around on this child trafficking thing since I saw that sticker, you know. You're sort of implying that most people are for it somehow because you have the one you're the one guy out of a thousand that bothers to mention that he's against it. Yeah. But I, I see only good coming from this ice bucket challenge. I think it's a great thing. More power to you. Okay. It caught on. And, uh, and you've been, I've seen that you invested in ice. In the, <laughs> you bought stock in ice. And anytime people. Uh, and buckets. <laughs> anytime something becomes huge, yeah. it's going to be under attack. It's going to be polarizing. So yeah. I say, good for you for being polarizing. That yeah. means you're doing something right. John Hughes. Chris, you heard of this guy, John Hughes? John Hughes. Just a major force in movie making. Mm-hmm. Sort of. About the family and the mainstream yeah, kind of he mentality. Died, but a good guy. How many decades has he been making movies from? Uh, well, the first was Vacation, yeah. so early eighties. Oh, really? I, I thought it was. I thought he went back further than that. No, he was a writer for National Lampoon. Okay. And then he um, he did a short story of Vacation. And then they said, hey, you should turn this into a, a feature. Right. So he, he didn't direct it, but he wrote the script. But scripts. he did all the Home Alones, Uncle Buck. And then, yeah, and then his first directing was Sixteen Candles, yeah. Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller, right. Pretty in Pink, as well as um, Home Alone and right. and stuff. But just the stuff in the mainstream that, that all the... Planes, you know, trains, automobiles. Yeah. And, and stuff movie. that... Uh, just really heartwarming movies that, you know... Uh, Heartwarming. Yeah. Heartwarming. Comedy, stuff that we can all enjoy, stuff that we can identify with. So he had this quote, Chris. This is the cake has to read right here. Okay. The book is, you couldn't ignore me if you tried. Okay. And this quote appeared in a journal called Zotrope All Story. Okay. Zotrope. Zotrope, yeah. I don't know. Okay, here's the quote. I understood... That the dark side of my middle class, middle American suburban life was not drugs, paganism, or perversion. It was disappointment. There were no gnawing insects beneath the grass, only dirt. I also knew that trapped inside every defeat is a small victory. And inside that small victory is the great defeat. Now, there's a lot of abstract uh, language there. Okay. But it's sort of, um, you know, the dark side of, you know, what does this guy have to complain about? Very, very middle class, uh, you know, white, waspy kind of guy. Well, the dark side of that is disappointment because you still, the the idea of, of failure and that hurting and, and aspirations and, and shortcomings applies to everyone on their relative scale of what they're trying to do. So, yeah. When you start off, even if you're starting off kind of middle class, you can it can be a harder fall. It can be a longer fall because you're already at this level, so the disappointment can be can hit you hard. This, this that's is, not something you're used to. This is this is something that we so all So he likes to explore that dark side in his movies. Right. Of middle class disappointment. Yeah, and it, it, and it's 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 really a helpful thing to try and understand this and uh, we were listening to Adam Carolla and Judd Apatow today and they mm-hmm. Judd Apatow and, and they were discussing this and 
whatever whatever you know income level or sort of status level that you're at you know we all aspire we think well you know if i just had just this little bit more money or if i had more money you know if you're if if i could just double my income or if i could triple my income then i would be happy yeah and and we have this idea that you know that more money is going to is is going to make us happy or satisfy us and then everything will be comfortable then everything will be stable and um and there's you know and of course for every person thinking that there's a guy that's earning a half or a third of what you know yeah. what the first guy's earning thinking if he could just be earning earning you know what the first guy's earning that's unhappy then he would you know or even that idea uh, to whom much is given much is expected right. you know with the, great the, power the gr- the grass is always greener you know, and it, it, well, it's one thing if you're, if you're at a, you know, if you're at some income level and your kid needs an operation or something, you're just like, I just got to get, you know, find, be able to pay for this or get the kid, you know, the thing he needs to get on with his life. That's a little bit different scenario, but the idea that, you know, we always, we're always unhappy, we would be, you know, happy, we'd be content, everything would be good if we were just making a little more money, just getting a little more recognition, just get that one raise or, you know, a couple raises up or we were the boss of our own business or something and 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 Judd Apatow and uh you know said you know what I what I've always assert is that uh, you're not you're not happier once you get to that level you you celebrate for a while if you get a yeah. raise or if you have an income bonus or you suddenly you know you get your degree or you get your you know the job that you've dreamed about you're certainly happy for a while you win the lottery or something like that for a while but but after you, you hit a period of stability, you hit that plateau for a while, and and then you you either raise your expectations, and you know you think well now you know I've, I've had this for now now I got to aspire to the next thing you know all the neighbors now that I moved into this new neighborhood I find that all the neighbors you know are driving better cars or I need the you know better house I need to move up from here, and mm-hmm. you just set higher standards and now you're aspiring to something else and you're no more happy than you were when you were earning less money. Yeah. Because the grass is always greener, and so the real secret is just learning to be satisfied. Especially if you happy. know what you're capable of. If you're like, I, I've opened this movie before. Right. You know, I used to be this huge selling point before. Yeah, but the real secret to life is just to learn to be happy and celebrate all the things that you have or that you maintain. You know, even if you're lo- even if you're making less money this year than you were last year, mm-hmm. or you, you're hitting stuff, just to celebrate the, the relationships that you've been able to maintain. Just enjoy the people that you're with. And, and and celebrate that celebrate the good things you 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 know it doesn't hurt to aspire to better stuff and but but yeah. don't make your happiness and your satisfaction and your enjoyment of life dependent upon hitting all those goals yeah you 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 high five your teammates even when they hit it out of bounds <laughs> right and and this is sort of the thing that John Hughes sort of catches in a lot of his movies you know at the end of mm-hmm. these movies we see these people that had frustrated you know in in planes trains and automobiles and in uncle buck and 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 uh, a lot of these Home Alone movies, at the end of the movie, the people are just glad to have their family back, just to, glad to be back to the status quo, and they really yeah. celebrate that and embrace that and find happiness just in recovering their lost relatives or getting back to their family for Thanksgiving or in, you know embracing the relationships that they had uh, as opposed in, to the beginning of the movie where they're frustrated because they, they can't get the thing that they want. They're not making enough money. The people mm-hmm. around them don't appreciate them. And it's just suck it up, learn to deal with that. The secret yeah. to being happy isn't to isn't to uh, uh, achieving all these goals and expectations that you set yourself for. The secret to being happy is to celebrating and being 
celebrating what you are, what you already got and being thankful for the things that you, you know recognizing all the things that you have that you can you know be mm-hmm. thankful for as much as as you have and uh, and that's what the John Hughes you know movies seem to embrace and uh, uh, his movies yeah. are just just you you have you feel better about yourself coming out of them than you do going in you know never yeah because it is his dark side it wasn't drugs right that's typically urban right. areas paganism or perversion right so the the main idea of sixteen candles is that her mom forgets it's her birthday right so that that hurts at any economic level right right. But she, she's got like a and, lot of different. Issues. And there's a dance coming up. She wants a date for the she dance. She doesn't have her boyfriend. Wants, her sister's, her sister's getting married. Her sister's and, getting married, and and the that's because of everything. Of her, yeah. All of her rel- none of her relatives sort of recognize her. Yeah. You know, they, she just gets sort of swept aside for for everything else. Yeah. In in Ferris Bueller, you get the sense that he's had a, he's at his prime. He's the king of his high school, and he doesn't know what he's doing for college or after high school and it's kind of a last hurrah for him and the these three friends that's, that's they're the gonna go you, their separate ways. That's that's the sort of the the bittersweet note you get towards the end. He recognizes yeah. that. In the beginning of the movie, for throughout most of the movie, he's just celebrating the crap out of, you know, every moment, just sucking all the all the nectar, all the joy out mm-hmm. of his life of what he's got. But it's a bit of a performance and act. Right. Because deep down there's this haunting inevitability that oh this uh sky is like a year younger um, yeah she's gonna be left behind i'm gonna go to college we're never gonna have this relationship yeah. you know all these relationships are coming yeah, to an says, end Cameron's now. gonna go to his college i'll go to mine yeah we'll see each other on holidays but, but yeah but we're never gonna have the relationships that we've had now yeah this beautiful thing is and this is over. the wisdom that everybody in the community seems to recognize in ferris bueller the fact that he sort of grasps this stuff he celebrates what he has, yeah. And everybody else is play, and the movie is sort of trying to play catch up to him because here's this kid that really knows how to have a good time and then, you know, make everybody around him happier. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 he's into the moment, you know. He's just living in the moment. Yeah, Charlie Sheen says to Jennifer Grey, like, <laughs> "Why do you care that he's skipping school or whatever?" Yeah. Like, you know, that's that's his life. Yeah, it's like. What, why is that, you know, you know you're, you're in charge of your own happiness, in think, effect. Things will, will catch up, you know, yeah. to the people. Yeah. So. It's like, you should talk to Ferris Bueller. There's this guy I know, Ferris Bueller, your brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She can't appreciate because she's too close. But, yeah, but but that's the, this is this is the genius of, of John Hughes, you know. He's just, he's just, he's just showing us American culture and how, uh, how we struggle just to mm-hmm. enjoy all the wealth that we have in America. Yeah, which just was very timely middle. for the mid '80s, you know, to to well to give voice to that uh, for the last that co- generation for the last hundred years. America, uh, there's so many resources in America, and just the American people in general, you know, live way above the the standard of living for most of the planet. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's other countries. There's a lot of countries that. Have a you know higher per capita wealth rate or are happier countries, but for as large a country as America yeah. is, the American middle class. You had that observation about Valley Girl that you know she's rebelling against her hippie parents, and her struggle is is fitting in and materialism and right and um, and uh, the conformity right right so. 
a different kind of struggle. Yeah. Well, this is an issue that America, probably more than other countries, has had maybe since the 40s, so since the 20s. You're not going to talk about like Vietnam, are you? Well, <laughs> if we have time, of course, we never do. I think Amer- Americans are quicker to to embrace, you know, this mass marketing thing. You know, we we get to the telephone and the infrastructure yeah. of the sort of modern media and stuff quicker. And we get, but it's get an interesting commentary because you think, okay, si- 60s full of drugs. I guess the 80s had coke. Well, this probably isn't a good example. U- usually in John Hughes movies, they're not struggling with the drugs. Right, yeah. they're it's sort of a sort side of, note. It's, it's out yeah. there, but but the heart of the issue because is because they're else. they're smart kids as well. Yeah, like you know they don't want to mess up. And John Hughes tends not to blame. Doesn't make the issue the drug itself. It's yeah. the decision making of the individual. I mean, they, they smoke a little weed in Breakfast Club. That's pretty much all we see. Yeah, but the focus is the character. The idea is that the people themselves yeah. have, are the ones at the heart of the issue. The, mm-hmm. the struggling with the with their situations. Yeah. Did you ever see some kind of wonderful? Yes. See, that was great, and there's that speech about he wants to go to art school, and the father wants him to be an accountant or something. I, I forget. Right. You know, so there's that sort of challenge. Yeah. Anyways, Chris. Yeah. You know what a good song is, Chris? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What is Think we're slobs? Is that I don't. Why? I think we're like, slobs. Who is she calling a slob? Yeah, the idea that you're calling God a slob, I don't appreciate. No, she doesn't. She said, "What if God was one of us, just right. a slob like one of us?" Um, She's not saying God is a slob. This is like a separate discussion, but I, I enjoy listening to the song. I struggle with those lyrics. I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian. Jesus came down, and he was, in in a sense, one of us. He struggled yeah. and he endured the the. Uh, all the little indignities of being a human, you know, the idea that you're riding on the bus, that you're working daily work and stuff like that, and you know, the Bible documents Jesus is the Son of God doing sort of doing these things. And, but and, but she's not talking about Jesus in the song. In a way, she is. She's saying, "What if God was one of us?" Yeah. And as a Christian, I believe God was one of us. He struggled with these things and bore these sort of things. But but the songwriter, I don't think, was a Christian. No, no, no. But I'm I'm just saying I have a I have a spiritual concern about the song because so she doesn't even believe she's questioning should it. I believe you know or what would it take for me to believe right because she does mention Jesus she said like and things like Jesus and the saints and all the prophets if she 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 wants to believe in God without necessarily believing in all the other stuff right specifically Catholic stuff right. She mentions the saints no, and no, stuff. No, in, in American religion, we sort of promote this idea that God is so far above us and we're so far below him and there's yeah. this impossible... But she's focusing on just the God part and right. not, and not it's the, more, the entirety yeah. of, of Catholicism right. added to it. Right. You know? Right. No, I I appreciate that, that... She's saying, can God relate to me? Can he... Right. You know, does he know what it's like or whatever? Right. Can, can I identify with God? Can he identify with me? That, that's what it's about. Right. No, She's I not agree. calling Jesus a slob. Uh, it isn't. It isn't. I, I agree with the song in that. Yes, it's great that we could identify with God. <laughs> I, I I endorse that idea. Yeah. I promote the idea that we can that God can relate to us. Yeah. And, and when the church tells you that you that you can't relate, 
that he's so far above you that he can't understand your problems or you you know then then that's then that's trouble for you spiritually god can understand you know your situation our creator understands who we are and the things that we're struggling with yeah. more than we know more than we can understand them she mentioned the pope uh, at one point but but at, but at the same time the idea that the creator of the universe is is no more significant than us that the guy that the guy that created us created all eternity um is 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 no more intelligent than us that he would just ride the bus and and just be one of us and struggle and have his own you know is to is in a way blasphemy and I struggle with that idea it's an interesting reading of it because I never saw never it that way. that way yeah because it it's her trying to process right she's yes. struggling with, yeah it's not she's trying to make god right. relatable she doesn't say it she doesn't say that in so many words i just go back and forth on that song whenever i whenever i hear that song that's just her to she's almost thinking more of of an angel who could be disguised as a human or, I, or something i don't know she says when she doesn't say what if jesus was one of us she says what if god was yeah you know i think in terms of when she says god i think of in terms of the entire you know in christianity what you call the godhead the try mm-hmm. the trial uh the um the the idea of Christ the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit yeah so uh, anyways but I, I I struggle with that song I, that is interesting make his way God had a face what would it look like and would you want would you want to see if seeing them that you would have to have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets. Yeah. And then later she mentions the Pope in Rome. Right. So, I think she has been to, like, Mass a few times. Yeah. And just didn't really connect with it. Well, she's... She's, she's saying it's not like a personal God. It's like a God out there. She's saying what if, and, and, and to me she's complaining against a, uh, a religious authority that's burdened her with all this huge, vast, un, unrelatable yeah, no, God. She, she wants, like, I want God to be a friend, like you're a friend. Like, right. I could just talk like right. like I talk to a friend. Right. And, 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 and that is what God is the spiritual like. Community, so, in the spiritual communities I've been part of, most of them present, yeah. present the, Holy, the Holy Spirit in that way. Yeah. That you can relate to. And I've been a Catholic Mass, and it's very stale. Yeah, no, uh, Catholicism is not the same. <laughs> it's not the same as, as a lot of the other churches and spiritual. You know, Christianity has a tremendous yeah. breadth of how you how you relate to God. And so I think that spectrum. that's what she's getting as is just like how I talk to a friend or I can right. I can talk to a stranger on the bus and he has a story or whatever. Well, this is you sort know, of wow. Like what a, if we could just talk to God like that? Right. And she's struggling with the with the have a relationship like with that. what do you have? Uh, Catholicism, Anglicism, Episcopalian, where there's a priest that you have to confess to and you're not worthy to talk to God directly. You can't relate to him. You yeah. have to go to a priest and a priest you can barely you know you have to respect. There's a sort of wall between you and the priest, so it's very hard to relate to the creator. In, in any way, you're, you're so far removed. Okay. Well, Chris, we are continuing our Cameron Crowe filmography. Right. We've, and, um, we've hit upon a, a, a sort of a different genre for Cameron Crowe this time. We have. This, this was Vanilla Sky came out in 2001. Yeah. Directed by Crowe. The screenplay was by Crowe. It was a remake of a Spanish film 
called Open Your Eyes. Right. And what were the movies he did right before this, just to get us? The of year in? before was Almost Famous, right? Which we yeah. and then Jerry Maguire was before that, right? And then Say Anything, uh, Fast Times, Fast Times. So yeah. it's only like his fifth movie he's worked yeah. on. But these other these other movies that he did prior to Vanilla Sky were heavily set in reality. He, well, not not just in reality, but very cultural oriented. They were yes. very much uh, displaying. Um, uh, an element of American culture, a sect of society that that Crow had investigated and lived in and researched, mm-hmm. and and it was about the people and the m- mindset and attitudes, yeah. Um, and it celebrated, you know, a certain time, a certain uh, uh, a certain sort of way of life. Um, Brief tangent. Yeah, a, a certain age, you know, age in your development, you know, cause we had coming-of-age movie, you know. And I want to make a and... quick parallel. Sure. Uh, Chris Nolan once said, he was asked, hey, you go from Inception, which is this uh, thing you made up, this, this yeah. story, very imagination, back to a Batman movie with a lot of rules and a history and right. a background to it. And it, do you like going back to that structure? And he's like, he's like, yes, I like going back after doing something so wild with no rules right. and no structure to something with a lot of structure. Right. So it makes sense that after that contrast for an Almost Famous, a very personal story, this yeah. guy's putting his heart and soul into Almost Famous. It's a piece of him up there right. throwing it on the screen saying, do you guys get me? Can you relate to this? Can right. you hear Almost me? Very, very much, uh, he has to go the polar opposite yeah. just to keep his sanity. Right. You know? Well, no, he's he's been doing... He had uh, Almost Famous is almost an autobiography for Cameron Crowe. It Crow. is, yeah. That's and exactly what it Fast is. Fast Times in, Red, in Ridgemont High was in... You know, time, that explored a time that he very that he lived in yeah. sort of an episode that he sort of lived in that sort of a culture that he that he described, um, and and uh, but and these other things are very now, but Vanilla Sky, uh, it's not about the culture, no, of, of, of an existing culture or, or people or mindset. This is about this is a science fiction movie. It's very philosophical. It mm-hmm. explores this sort of idea of your life and your dream. Life in your subconscious, um, and, and there's this tremendous payoff in the third act. Yeah, I think it's all about building to that point. Right. And the first time I thought it really blew my mind at age eighteen or nineteen. Yeah. Because you see the first half unfold, it is very realistic. It could just be a, right. a typical story, and then you get your twists and turns, and you get your big reveals. Right. It's and it, it's about dreams. Yeah. Uh, and not I mean not like your aspiration dreams, yeah. but just your your dreams that you when you sleep, what happens when you're subconscious and you're exploring your you know, what is it we really want out of life? What is it that makes us happy? What is it about yeah, the way having we live dreams our life? within dreams yeah. cuz he's having How nightmares we, and yeah. and waking up. And, and our the only complaint I had watching it again is that I wanted to get to that third act quicker where he starts losing his mind and he starts seeing <coughs> right he sees julie and then he sees sophie again and then right. back to julie and then oh julie's supposed to be dead but then yeah and then i saw her but now they're saying she is dead and it's got, it's, they're saying i beat her up and yeah. i didn't and it's it's not it's not exactly a romance it's, it's sort of a science fiction sort of a drama mm-hmm. almost uh almost uh um what do you call it uh not uh a crime sort of a uh when yeah, you have yeah. A, when you have a crime and you're trying to guess 
who did it, a who done it kind of a thing. Yeah. Because you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Some of the stuff sort of doesn't make sense. Uh, you're seeing him go back and forth in time. He's got the episodes where he's talking with the psychologist and he's describing these dreams, and, and and so you're trying to figure out exactly what the what the hell's going on through this thing. And and you're right. There's there's a there's a good twenty minutes to half an hour in there where he's going back and forth in these nightclub scenes where it's really it's stressful to watch because you you you're not sure how it's affecting the plot. You know exactly what role what exactly is occurring here, and you're trying to guess you know, where this thing is going. And uh, and the characters aren't heroes. You know, you don't have sort of these heroes and villains. Right. You know, where you're rooting for a good guy or a bad guy. It's 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 just sort of this sort of roller coaster ride through this guy's life. Yeah. But there's not there's not a sense of good and evil. There's not a, you know, he, who he is changes. He's one character in the beginning of the movie, this sort of happy-go-lucky rich guy with no problems, and then all of a sudden he's at the other end of society where he loses his looks, he loses his Yes, yeah, the sweet and the sour, so. Yeah. His yeah, life goes sour about. real fast. It's about the sort of contrast in things, but but it's not clear that that's what it's about till almost till virtually the end of the movie, you know, till the last, you know, none of it really makes sense till like the last 20 minutes. You almost have to see the thing twice in order to figure out what the hell you're watching, and uh, it it does not feel like a Cameron Crowe movie. No, it doesn't. And so, in different hands, it it could have been better in some ways, but I appreciate that he he did the best he could with that material. It was successful, right, with, in the yeah. box office. Oh yeah, made had, over over two hundred million dollars. It made. It was released during award season. Right, and uh, you, you had to enjoy the cinematography and the cars and sort of the scenes and the and the way yeah. this thing was done artfully and the acting and stuff was done well. The story was just really trippy. It's almost it something that that the story was almost something that would work you know work better as a novel than a movie because you're you're just trying to figure out what the hell is going on in these scenes. That and was these interesting because usually like. The only like freaky scene is at one point he like sees himself in the mirror and he has his uh, deformed face back, yeah. or he's like, you know, uh, choking Penelope and it's Cameron Diaz and, yeah. and, and that. But so usually a psychological thriller yeah. would kind of introduce that early and, and amp that sort of weirdness up. Yeah. But I appreciate that this is a reserved. Well, as much as step any, back as take. much as anything, it feels like a sort of an. Uh, an LSD trip or a hallucinogenic drug trip. Yeah. You know, you're sort of going back and you're changing, you know, who who he is, his his sense of self changes, you know. He's happy-go-lucky and he's got all the, you know, he's got any woman, he's just like this sort of bachelor that's just going from woman to woman at the beginning and then he, then, you know, by the end, all he wants is, or in the middle, sort of, all he wants is this one girl and he's just trying to, you know, not be, all of a sudden he meets a Sophia, he doesn't want to be that guy that he was before. Now he's fallen in love and he doesn't want to be that guy that he was. Everybody yeah. that he knows is sort of confronting him with that and, and, and somehow hanging over his head is sort of this responsibility and this corporation that he imagines is sort of chasing him, these seven dwarfs he calls them. Um, but I, I didn't feel like there was an ongoing theme that sort of tied it all together anymore, except for maybe that sort of sweet, you can't have the sweet without the sour. Yeah. You know, is is Jason Lee's yeah, there's a tremendous cast. And and I don't or, feel like Crow got the most out of him in terms of you know, putting him into a story yeah. where they all work together. It was a great cast. And and maybe 
you know, she's the saddest woman to ever hold a martini. Yeah. Maybe that is about Cruz's character as well. Yeah. You know, that maybe he has this sadness kind of beneath, yeah. you know, this shallow life, perhaps. Yeah. Nancy Wilson did the score, Chris. Yeah. I'm on the Apparently she did a song called These Dreams. Yeah, that was a big heart song. So. And the movie's about dreams, it's Chris. About, it's about dreams and nightmares. What dreams may come. Um, I want to read to you something. How did this movie get to be so successful? Because it's... I mean, it's got the Timing. cast. It's got Tom Cruise in the title, but he's not doing the action characters. He's he's not exactly a romance. Um, there's some erotic scenes, well, sort of. Well, first, Jerry Maguire was a huge hit. Yeah. Especially in award season. Right. So you have these two teaming back up. You have Almost Famous being a huge hit. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what Cruz did. Well, you're telling me that when Crow, Crow pushed this thing through because he wanted to keep the crew that he had. On Almost Famous, yeah. Almost, he, had, he had an assembly of crew together. And they he they to, jumped right. The movie was Cruz's idea. This, yeah. Cruz bought the rights to the, the movie. And when he got Cameron Crowe on, Cameron Crowe wanted to get... Keep his crew from vanilla, from yeah. uh, from almost famous, and, and get yeah. through this thing with all this. It's very nice for a filmmaker to have to be working on a movie as another movie's opening, right? And just to constantly be working. Yeah. It's such a bittersweet thing when a movie wraps, yeah. Because the summer camp bonding thing yeah. is, is now over, yeah. And it's like, oh, now I have to fill that hole with something, right? So, well, you, well, you you get the chance to promote your your next movie at the you know. Is the other one is, is is sort of blossoming, so you don't want to. Miss right before that. Vanilla Sky, uh, Cruz did Magnolia. I don't remember that one. That was a uh, the Paul Thomas Anderson, excellent movie, one of the best movies I've ever seen. So take that as you will. Yeah. So who was our who was our cast in Vanilla Sky? We had Jason Lee. Mm-hmm. We had Tom Cruise. Who Penelope, of course was just an almost famous Penelope so. Cruz, uh, Cameron Diaz. Um, we had Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell. So you got some major talent in this thing. It's not an action movie. It's a, a sort of what would you call it a, a a crime? I don't know. It's <laughs> oh, a psychological yeah, thriller. Yeah, psychological thriller. It's, it's sort of a psychological thriller, sci-fi. I, I like to drama. imagine that Crow is is processing something and figuring out something. Yeah, I don't know. Because I think I'm very drawn to movies done by a writer-director. Because yeah. he's always trying to say something Yeah. When, when he does that. Yeah. So I think, what is he trying to say with Vanilla Sky? You know. Yeah. He always sees himself in these characters. And, and so I want to read you something that Cameron Crowe did a commentary for the movie. Yeah. It says, there are five different interpretations of the ending. Okay. Okay? Number one. Tech support is telling the truth. 150 years have passed since Ames killed himself and subsequent events form a lucid dream. Right. You know, I thought the 150 years thing was interesting. I didn't realize that until I watched it again. Yeah. That very much reminds me of AI, where the very last scene is it then goes forward in time. Yeah. Another 100-something years, and... You have these super advanced robots that oh, that, that have outlived all the humans, and they go. And they say, so can... and, and they find um, 
Teddy and David, and he's in the, yeah. you know, the, the ice, whatever <coughs> right. the fuck it is. Yeah, or thousands <laughs> of years or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's something. By. It's a really yeah, creepy but life. cool yeah. ending. I love AI. Yeah. And what do they do? They, they AI, Well, that's a different discussion. We'll get, but, but the 150 years is interesting because... If he chooses to to live, to go, re- to, to go to back be to reality and, and live another forty years or whatever it yeah. is, um, all his friends are dead. Everyone right. he knows is dead. <clears throat> they even say your money can't get you that far. <clears throat> yeah, your money won't last that yeah. far in, in this time. Yeah. Who knows what happened to the company or to whatever? Right. His money and not is. not just his friends are dead, but you know their parents and family. He's, that can yeah. be related. He, all the culture that he knows is probably gone. Yeah, he, you know, he's, he's, he'll be basically at the level of a of a second or third grader entering this thing. Yeah, man, uh, did you see the sixth day with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I did I don't remember. Okay, that was something about like if you die, they can clone you and they can oh, put yeah, your yeah. memories in your clone or something. Right, right. That was interesting. Okay, so okay, so what are the other? So options? number two, the entire film is a dream. Evidenced by the sticker on Ames's car that reads two thirty oh one, February thirtieth does not exist. Okay. So for that to be true, he would have had to you know, died from some other means or whatever and Or it just could be a drug trip or something like that. But any movie can Or something. I don't part cause... part of the one hundred and fifty years thing is is what does he keep dreaming about? How does he stretch that out? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't consider. Realizing it. I don't consider that a valid option. That's basically the whole idea that we're. That's the, that's the old. That's the old marijuana drug deal thing where you're on <laughs> smoking pot for the first time, and what if what if our whole solar system or our whole galaxy is the uh, <laughs> is the uh, you know is is just an atom or a molecule and a giant's fingernail or something like that and it's it's like that's always that's always an issue that's like your issue yeah, that, okay, you can no, be, that any of us could be living today so it's it's okay. always an option that everything that's happening is a dream somehow the events following the crash form a dream that occurs while Ames is in a coma sure so that's interesting because even though we don't see a lot of Benny the dog yeah and and what the whole technology is and, until the very end. Right. So, and we know he was in a coma, so maybe he just, just dreamt about this whole thing. Right. So I like how that, that could be a possibility. He's in a coma with a, with a TV that's got this commercial airing all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he fabricated this whole thing. He's, yeah, he keeps hearing this yeah, commercial. And in just... the end, he basically chooses to die. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. The entire film is the plot of the book that Brian is writing. <laughs> ah, that's number four. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's probably. I'm not really uh... happy with these options. <laughs> the entire film after the crash is a hallucination caused by the drugs that were administered during Ames's reconstructive surgery. Yeah. Kerr has also noted the presence of Vanilla Skies marks the first lucid dream sequence. The morning reunion after the club scene. Right. All that follows is a dream. All right. So. Now that that one's a, that was an interesting interpretation because you have if he's dreaming it, then you're gonna see stuff like that where he's putting in stuff. Yeah. So he's definitely dreaming after the crash. Yeah. It, it, we, you, <clears throat> if if the filmmaker wants to give us the idea that it's a dream, if that's a, val- a valid interpretation that it's a dream. Is you'd have to have something where you know the the character that's having the dream, in some yeah. way infuses some, you know, some other 
something into the dream, like this, his, you know, his vanilla sky theme. Yeah. You know, you have to have something else that the character's fixated on that enters into the into the yeah. background. And, and yeah, so, and and that was a cool moment. The guy talking about, oh, you did like the Bob Dylan cover, and right. you took different stuff from. Right. Yeah. So that that one's cool. The idea that the idea that this is all Brian's book, in order for that in order for that to be a valid interpretation, I think you'd have to have some kind of a indication in the movie where, you know, uh, Brian was. You, you'd have to have something somewhere else in the movie where Brian was. Uh, they only mentioned the book like once. In. Yeah, that was. They they alluded to it a couple times, but but if he's writing the book, then you have to have some deviation from Cruz's dream. Yeah. You know where where Brian's taking a pause to go get some coffee, or he's considering alternatives, and something else happens in the dream. You know, he's rewriting something. So, it's, but somehow that something that Brian's thinking or does enters in and affects Cruz that he can't, you know, correct. Yeah. So it's it's not really indicated in the movie. There's no sort of indicators that, uh, you know, that this is something that he's writing. Mm-hmm. You know, Cruz is the main character going on and on throughout this thing, and the fact that Brian's in it, you know, is just sort of, you know, side character. It's sort of hard to, you know. Yeah. If you were writing a book about somebody going through this stuff, would you put yourself in it? You know, to the extent <laughs> that that Brian has, you know. Yeah, I forget what he says about the book that that he tells Sophia, like, oh, I'm helping him write a book, or I'm I'm paying for him, or something. I'm paying for him to write a book. Oh yeah, yeah. Something. He's talking. He's he's paying for. Yeah, he's he's paying him to write a book about rejection and remorse. Or oh something yeah. Like that. So the more I so yeah. I do so the... me taking you home and leaving him here is going to help him get that done. He's gonna, yeah. It's going to contribute to him knowing. That, that's probably where that theory comes from just on that one line yeah but you still want to have some other I, i'd still say that that it's it's a tough sell for me it is like look like brian's pissed that because yeah. brian has a crush on on uh cameron diaz yeah so then he writes well, oh, they, they go in a car accident diaz goes crazy yeah <laughs> Yeah, you have you you want, but you he want, lets that go, and then he actually brings Penelope, Penelope Cruz there and introduces her. But it doesn't even, but, but Cruz just fixates on her, quits talking to Brian once he starts yeah. talking to her. But nothing bad happens to to Penelope, to Sophia, to Sophia, because when when he, when he's in jail for killing someone, it's always Julie, right? And they said, "Oh, you beat her up, or well, you killed her, or something." They never say he he killed Sophia. I don't know who they said he killed. I don't remember them saying anything. When they show him the pictures, to him the pictures look like Julia. No, but he sees the mole, so he did kill Sophia. Julie turns back into Sophia, yeah. Yeah, but when they showed him the pictures of the beatings, it was Julia's face that that Cruz was seeing, that Cruz's character was seeing. Um, No, but his his lawyer said that he killed someone. Yeah, Uh, and Brian says... After what you did to Sophia, and she's not—he's talking about that it happened to Sophia. When he confronts Brian, when yeah. he gets out, Brian's talking about that he talked, you know, that that it was Sophia that he did after he saw Sophia. So in Cruz's mind, he, you know, he's having this problem identifying who it was that he supposedly killed. You know, this. Yeah. But the, but this whole—I don't know. This is to me. This was not a movie that I enjoyed talking about too much. Cause <laughs> it's just at any given moment. 
It's dodgy as to, you know, what, how much of it's a dream. The movie itself doesn't... doesn't well, well, that's the strong part, I think, is, is when it starts to go when, crazy. Well, from the beginning when he's talking, the, the beginning of the movie, he's he's talking to, you know, Kurt Russell's character, McCabe, the psychologist. He, mm-hmm. So, uh, ostensibly, the whole movie is about dreams that he has while he's talking to McCabe. Up until the yeah. part at the end... Where the you know he's at he's at the LG and or McCabe takes him to or the LE yeah. or whatever it is, and then they're arguing about this lucid dream thing. And did you sign? McCabe's asking, him, "Did you sign the contract? Did you sign the contract?" Yeah. And then it all gets weird because all of a sudden now McCabe is like a figment of his imagination. Right, which means he feels guilty about something. Yeah. So he invents this this therapist who's arguing that. <laughs> you know that you killed someone or hurt someone yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So in a sense, it, it doesn't become really a, a a sci-fi movie until the tech support guy shows up at the bar and suggests yeah. to Cruz that he's the one that's making all these people talk, and that if he he suggests if that if if Cruz's character tells him to sh- shut up, that everything will shut, and then he says shut up or something, and yeah. the whole room gets quiet and it's surreal there. That's that's at the moment when it first becomes a sort of a sci-fi movie. Yeah. It quits becoming some kind of a. Uh, that's when the, the glitches. Some start. kind of a twisted, uh, you know, uh, drug manifestation yeah. thing. I think. I think you could argue. Now, I wanted to bring up that the the lucid dream is supposed to give him a better life. Yeah. A, a better story that happens after you die. Yeah. Right. As if your life continued on. Well. So. And but I think well why why go through the whole thing of him having reconstructive surgery and he was in a coma and, mm. and he's disfigured and stuff. Mm. And it's because he doesn't know he's dreaming. It had to have been a convincing story. Right. Wait, they, say they, that again. You it lost. had to be convincing. They couldn't oh, just yeah. go to. Oh, I survived the crash, and there was no problems, right. and, and I'm perfectly good. Yeah. In order for him to believe that it was reality, they had to go with the story. Well, you survived, but you're in a coma. They did reconstructive surgery. Yeah. And they had to wait for another surgery. Yeah. And that way, it was he believed that it was real. Yeah. This is, but the, this whole idea about what happens after you, yeah, after you die, and that there's a technology that can sort of. Uh, and it was real. Maintain right? your existence. What, which, what was real? The whole coma and reconstructive thing was real. But the yeah, moment it started said, was when well, he, according, to, according to the technician, the technician yeah. started was when he after had... After the nightclub. After the nightclub thing, when he had the face and the mask and stuff yeah. like that. So everything up to... If that was all true, then he did have the coma and... Yeah. And, and had the... And uh, it does seem a little surprising that Sophia would find him there and be like... Yeah. Oh, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to do this. And... All right, so since Vanilla Sky, we've had... If we're looking at this as a movie that's about technology and how technology can prolong life after death sort of a yeah. thing, this sort of subconscious in your mind, you know, this, these universes and worlds that your mind, how your mind lives on, we have uh, source code since that. Yeah. We have... Um, uh, what was it? The, the Matrix was two years before it. Was it? Yeah, it was 99, so I wonder if people compared it to The Matrix. The Matrix was different because you actually had death. You know, these the people in The Matrix weren't necessarily dead. They were on a sort of a life support thing, so it yeah. wasn't. But um, what was the one 
with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and they went uh, oh, inside geez. inside the layers and inside the oh, layers. Oh, Inception. Inception. Yeah. Um, there's a movie called Repo Man mm-hmm. um, with uh, Forrest Whitaker. There's Dreamscape and, and with Jude Dennis Law. Quaid. <laughs> yeah, Dreamscape, right? Well, this wasn't that one wasn't necessarily about death, and that one you could Uh-oh. die, but 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 still about dreams and the sort of subconscious reality and how it affects reality. Yeah. Um, that was a very interesting movie, um, and uh, what was another one that I was watching recently? Um, Black Swan. Which yeah, which we didn't see, but we're, we're but we're talking about uh, life being prolonged after death, and you sort of get trapped in this. Oh. The idea that you have this technology prolonging your life, and and you've lost control of sort of your consciousness and your subconsciousness. That there's a mach- you know machinery that or, or or some kind of mechanism that access this stuff, and so yeah, so we have, uh, and, and generally they're pretty dark when you start talking about that stuff. So in in source code. Source code was sort of not. It wasn't. It was a sort of a happy ending because the guy was able to generate. Well, it's his sort own of universe. like um, the utopian society that turns out to be dystopian. Yeah. You know, like The Giver. I yeah. just saw that. Okay. In uh, I believe what was it in uh, Inception at the end of the movie he spins the top and it doesn't do the thing that happens when he's in reality. He does the test for reality and. Well, yeah, it goes to black before we so see was, whether or not, you know. Yeah, well, well, the idea that it was it was spinning pretty long time before it went to black. Yeah. So I think the message was that he's, you know, still in the dream. He, or yeah, something. he didn't. Yeah, he didn't make it out of that one. Oh, he's man. there. Inception was great. Yeah, it was, but it was dark. It has a really dark, and and <laughs> and these movies they they sort of put you in this place where you're sort of they sort of give your mind these sort of these puzzles. Yeah. And and these sort of ideas about this you know eternal existence thing. Um, that we're not really programmed, you know, our, our brains are, are, are limited. Yeah. As smart as you are, as intelligent as you are, as much time as you take to process something, this puzzle of, uh, eternity and infiniteness, Mm -hmm. you know, and an unending time, um, you know, we can't process that. You know, our brains just... Yeah. We, I mean, we can think of it in, in sort of chunks and limits and stuff like that, but just to try and imagine, you know, going on and on forever and ever and ever, that's something yeah. that, you know, we can't... Like, uh, the they whole, don't explain how the tech guy enters into the dream, <laughs> you know, what that well, process is. Well, it's a function is. of the... You know, it's probably, if you think of them as software as opposed to an actual yeah. person. But, uh, I mean, but we can't fit the whole universe into our brains. Mm-hmm. And so you you have this idea that, what happens is I think when, you know, when you see these movies and we get, you know, we struggle with them and it can sort of send our, our brains and, you know, how your computer gets caught in sort of a, uh, a script or something like that. Sometimes you get a note from your computer that's trying to process something that it can never finish. You know, it's going in sort of a loop thing. And, and these movies sort of have a tendency to give us these ideas that we can't completely process to satisfaction. And so we're trying to bang these things around in our mind about what, how, you know, well, what would it be like to be caught on, you know, indefinite life support, you know, and your your mind's still going, and nobody could tell what you're thinking if you're happy or not, you know, and and you know, can you imagine the horror of being stuck in a nightmare that mm-hmm. you have no way of waking up out of, um, you know, and these are really, really the darkest of, you know, <laughs> they are things to 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 speculate on and process, and it's like, you know, that's, yeah, and I like his approach that he doesn't kind of go dark visually per se 
it, it wasn't a it wasn't a happy movie. It wasn't a dark. You know, it was just sort of nether. But to me, it's I, I just find these movies especially disturbing. <laughs> I just don't like to You're have. Supposed to like disturbing. That's your thing. Uh, yeah, dark and twi- I like dark humor. Just this, but these things just give me a puzzle that you can't solve. You know that nobody can really. I don't think can solve. Can really come away from yeah. that. It's just something that's like when you have a puzzle that you cannot solve. You know that you cannot work intelligently on. That there's have no way yeah. of processing. You know. Behooves you to just sort of set it, figure that out, but identify it as such, and sort of set it aside and and work on something that you can make progress on. You know, yeah. Uh, we're at. I, I think I find myself happier when I can see myself making some kind of progress, making some kind of accomplishment in my life. And when you have a puzzle, something <laughs> that, that by definition cannot be solved, that there's no, you know, you can't tell that you're making any progress on it ever. It it just can only lead to frustration and tears. Well, Chris, you're not alone because the movie was very polarizing. Yeah. Some critics really loved it and praised it. Others hated Some it. hated it, like you. Yeah. Well, you had a lot of pretty um, people in it, you know. You did. Struggling with a lot of emotions, you know. Yeah. But really abstract stuff with philosophies, you know. Some yeah, but there was really that really cool black Mustang and, just get into and that it. really cool uh, black Ferrari and he's driving around in the streets of... You know, it's essentially uh, Times Square is empty, man. It's a that sad version cool. of Time Bandits. It's all a dream, right? <laughs> Time Bandits. Time Bandits was hilarious. It's this that little just... boy processing that his parents <laughs> neglect him, right? And goes on this this dream fantasy to kind yeah. of figure it out. Yeah, but the little kid comes up with some really interesting, yeah. funny, hilarious characters. Like and... Sean Connery is just like a figment of his imagination. What he wants a father figure to be right. like, you know, right. he constructs right. this whole thing. Yeah, but you, yeah. Well, no time bandits. You have like all these great characters of history brought low, but yeah. <laughs> stuff like venereal disease and yeah. inferiority complexes and stuff like that. But you have to, be, but but dreams are interesting, you know. Right. That kind of stuff. Um, yeah. No. I, uh, I was. I, I got to be honest with you. I was disappointed in Cameron Crowe in this one. He just had such a high standard in his previous movies and just really interesting people and stuff and he just went outside his genre on this one and it is but sometimes you I find it interesting that you have to do as, that as an artist and I find it interesting that he made as much money as he did and I, I I applaud him for taking on something a little bit different and challenging and interesting and yeah uh you know it had a lot of great aspects to this movie I just did not enjoy the plot or the characters <laughs> it's true it, it is not almost famous yeah but it's 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 film appreciation. Okay. You know. Um, let's read a quote from good old Roger Ebert. Alright. Is he dead? He's dead. Okay. Yeah, he died last year. Think it all the way through, and Cameron Crowe's Vanilla Sky is a sculpturally moral picture. It tells the story of a man who has just about everything, thinks he can have it all is given a means to have whatever he wants and loses it because, well, maybe because he has a conscience, or maybe not, maybe just because life sucks, or maybe he only thinks it does. This is the kind of movie you don't want to analyze until you've seen it two times. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there you go. As it leaves behind the real world and begins exploring life as a waking dream... Vanilla Sky loosens its emotional grip and becomes a disorganized and abstract, if still intriguing, meditation on parallel themes. One of 
One is the quest for eternal life and eternal youth. Another is guilt and the ungovernable power of the unconscious mind to undermine science's utopian discoveries. Didn't um, uh, the guy's uh, parents die in the movie? Tom Cruise's parents? Uh, died in a car crash or something? D -d 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 yeah, they were killed by a teenager or something like that. I guess when he was about 10 or 15 or something like that. Yeah. That's what he, they didn't then show he that himself part of the almost movie. dies in a he car crash. He describes that to Sophia. Yeah. But then that, that's interesting, though, that he himself almost dies in a car crash. And, and so there's definitely something about, like, his father's legacy. and Yeah. No, I think, but maybe he was he wasn't describing it to Sophia. Maybe it was to, he was talking to the psychiatrist or something about his parents or something. But he ended up with this, uh, you know, he lost his parents at a relatively young age and you know gained this, uh, you know, this huge fortune, this huge empire. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like you know the thing seemed like he had everything. He could have any woman he wanted, and he did. He was good looking. He was young. He was rich. Yeah. Uh, and he's brought low by this one girl, Sophia. She catches his imagination for the first time he, in his life. He falls in love, mm -hmm. and he he can't quite be happy now um, without her, without his good looks. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're not sure exactly whether it's his looks or the fact that he's got all these headaches all the time. You know, so you're not quite sure if he's just shallow and he's sensitive about his looks, if he could just be with Sophia, or it's the way that she sees him now. You know, mm -hmm. in his mind, when she looks at him, it seems like she can't enjoy him, you know, the way he was before. And then... Yeah. Yeah, the nightclub was a bad move. That's that seemed like an odd choice to to go out to, to the meet nightclub. up in, in those circumstances of I'm just I haven't seen you in months or whatever I'm returning to you and yeah you know because she was responsive about the dance studio you know she was happy to see him she wasn't too off put by it well it seems like you know in that sort of a situation you could be happy with small groups of people familiar people you know they're they're going to take sort of time to get used to you get used to the way that you look and once you can sort of acclimate to that I would think you know you'd have a you know let some time pass acclimate to that situation and then you're gonna yeah. you know if you appreciate yourself or your character then you're gonna be okay especially if you have a lot of money and you can entertain yourself while you're not you know struggling with having to be around a lot of people that are you know but he goes out to the bar he struggles with the bartender and you know people don't want to look at him you know they're looking away and he's you know he's real sensitive to that Mm -hmm. And but he hasn't been out since his, this is the first time he's you know been out since his accident. So yeah, you know over time he's going to get a little bit you know. Well, it's so creepy in like well, a, a darkly lit nightclub and <laughs> this yeah. figure moving around like go out right. in the daytime you know, or, or, you know right right. Like, there are easier scenarios here. Well, you know, there's a lot the of... The mask is even worse in the face. Walks <laughs> in with the mask. Yeah, I mean, I was watching this... I haven't seen it in about five or six years, and my first thought is, is like, okay, look, you wore sunglasses, you wore a fake beard, you cover, like, you know, two-thirds of your face, and you're, you know, you're pretty much there. Yeah. You know? You go places where you can, you know... You go out in public, you go out in places where you can get away with some sunglasses and a fake beard or something, yeah. cover most of your face, and, and you're going to be... It's it's not that big a deal, you know. You can get by. yeah. It's not so extreme. Like people people have seen burn victims before and car accident victims. And yeah. Skin graft. 
No, I mean I've seen people, but it's 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 as much a matter of him just getting used to, you know, getting used yeah. to the looks that he gets, and and that's not gonna, you know, the first night is gonna be way by far the worst. Yeah. He's trying to he's trying to jump back into his old, you know, uh, self right away. Yeah. And and I sort of felt you know pretty disappointed by that that his world is so tragic so quick, from that thing. Yeah, it was like the one night. it was a new low, yeah. and that's where they decide for the the dream to begin. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It 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 just didn't smack of reality. It, you know, it just But felt... they, they needed to give him an excuse to where this guy would commit suicide, you know. Yeah. They needed to give him that low. Uh yeah, but I mean it's like That's right to sound it's about a guy who commits suicide. It's 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 first it's hard to relate to him to you know, this this is this is why, <laughs> this, is why this is why this movie doesn't movie. feel like a Cameron Crowe movie and I didn't enjoy it. Most of the characters aren't especially relatable, you know. I mean, it's like who can identify with, with. Yeah. You, you, you see Tom Your Cruise, and it's like, okay, you know, the guy's good looking. That's one thing. Okay, maybe I can re- relate yeah. with a good looking guy. You know, people will relate to a good looking guy that's all flashy and all this stuff. But he's good looking, and he's rich, you know, and he's got everything that he wants, and he's happy all the time. It's like who relates to that? You know, it's like isn't that kind of a? He's got to have some kind of a more complex side in order to, you know, and then, you know, same thing with the girls, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Cameron Crowe, you see like this one side of her, but then she's like a stalker and stuff like that. And it's just like, okay, don't, you know, this, uh, you know, this, this doesn't really represent a large section of our population. How many people, you know, have, have related to a stalker that have, you know, have a stalker in their lives. It's like, okay, I, I uh, it's it's not that her character is impossible or something like that. It's just that you, every one of these characters is just sort of such an oddball. You don't really identify, you know, with them. The yeah. the closest I can identify with is this guy Brian, who's sort of the wingman for for Cruz's character. Uh, you sort of get a taste for him, and, and maybe Kurt Russell's character is, you know, but you don't really know too, that much about these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's not a lot of depth to any of these characters. Um, you know, for what it is. So, you know, so I, I didn't really enjoy any of these characters especially, and and the plot was, like, you know, really twisted and stuff like that. It just didn't feel like any of it. Every one of his other movies, it's like, there was all these little details about each of the characters that you say, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Or it's like, yeah, I can see yeah. that. That 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 feels like a real character to me. Well, that's None part of, of being based on reality and, and pulling from real life and, yeah. and real stuff. No, but I mean, it just... No, the characters and the plot. It's like I, I, I couldn't really get into either one of them. Yeah. So it wasn't about so, that. I, I, I guess not. I, I guess just not. just had a hard. Time. <laughs> I, I guess you know. I understand it was about the sort of the the you know the the sweet and sour. Yeah, the sweet and sour. Well, it was, it was almost, about Chinese food. Yeah, just sort of the kicker at the end, where okay, this whole thing is a dream, and he's in the lucid. You know, yeah. the lucid. What is it? The lucid dream, the Ellie thing at the end, but you waited such a long time before that really became significant in the movie mm-hmm. stuff. You know, it's almost like life finds a way. It's almost like um, we can only put up with so much bullshit. <laughs> like the the truth will set us free in a way. Yeah. We in the end we do cling to the truth. He says in the elevator, like, yeah. "Tell me everything." Like, do you really want to know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Have you ever had a lucid dream? 
Chris. I've had some before. Had a lucid dream. That's when when one is aware that one is dreaming. Yeah, usually when usually about the time that I become aware that I'm dreaming is like then the, the you know the dream comes that's like right at the end of the dream you know you, that doesn't last for too long once you're sort of aware <laughs> that you're dreaming yeah. you start manipulating and the next thing you know you're awake. So uh, I guess so. They can be very realistic and vivid. Yeah, well, no, as soon as you're aware that you're dreaming, you start manipulating stuff to, you know, becomes more of a fantasy. Sort or of what I like, it, well, it's usually like a stress dream. Yeah. And I've had a reoccurring dreams where I'm in school and it's finals week and I'm yeah. stressed out and, and stuff. And there's no way I can do it all. And the only way to get out of it is I realize I'm dreaming. Yeah. And then f- at Force. that point, I can wake up from the dream. And yeah. I'm like, oh, problem solved. Yeah. I don't really have three finals due tomorrow, and yeah. I'm not done with writing papers. Right. So I've had them go the other I've way. I've had that happen lots of times. I've had them go the other way where they were like fantasy sort of stuff, and it was you know good stuff. Yeah. It was, it was like... Like a sex fantasy? Yeah, sort of a oh, sex no. fantasy, or you know something was happening in the dream, different characters and stuff like that, and it was sort of surreal... And and then I sort of get the idea that I can you know mm, yeah. can manipulate stuff. Well, if that can happen, then what happens if I just sort of open this wall, or if this girl's clothes sort of you know come you're, apart you're this too way. analytical for lucid dreaming. <laughs> yeah, you no. start questioning I, the logic I, of everything. Start challenging my subconscious. <laughs> like, right wait away. a second, <laughs> you bastard subconscious! I've been <laughs> yeah. struggling with you. Now's my chance, you know. And just about the time you think I can, you know, get your subconscious <laughs> around the throat and strangle it. Or someone is like, enjoy it. It's a lucid dream. It's you a can lucid, do anything. I'm trying to enjoy it, but my subconscious and me just do not get along. You're like, wait a second. Even my lucid dream, I I <laughs> stub my toe when I walk, and I. <laughs> I go for the milk and it's out. <laughs> so, <laughs> my dreams, I'm down on my luck. Yeah, what's going on here? So, any, so, uh, so I think we. I don't know what else there is to say about. Yeah, the, 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 the only one other thing is, he said he was 33, which is like the Christ age. I don't yeah. know if that was intentional or not. I'm sure it was. At one point, the guy says, "You're like a god. You can." You can control yeah. your your dream. Right. So there was a little bit of that imagery. Yeah. In there. Yeah. That's that's the thing you got to like about the. Those are sort of the cues early on. Yeah. That that it you know that uh, that that's what's going on. That everything. Eric, Tom Cruise is in like every scene in this movie. Yeah. It's like even when you have oh, a yeah. hero it's, or a main a character or something around. like that. There's usually, you know, there's usually you know some chunks of the movie, some scenes or whatever where. That person, that main character, is not in it, and you're seeing stuff going around behind his back. I don't know if that in this movie, I can't think of a scene where Tom Cruise wasn't. Uh, was there scenes where Brian was talking to the girls alone? Um, I don't know. Were the dwarves, or the seven dwarves, or the Lord? I, I, I want to say there might have been, but I, I think like maybe Tom Cruise was like in every sort of... And that's the sort of thing that could give you this idea that it's only about what's going on in his mind. Yeah. But it is reality up until he, he passes out. Well, that's the thing. is You don't exactly know where the reality is. We don't, because it's, it's all told as a flashback from him in the dream. The fact that, the so fact that in the remember? beginning of the movie he's driving around and there's nobody on the streets. He's driving the... Ferrari yeah. or the Mustang, and there's nobody on the streets of Times Square. Is it That's dream? surrealistic. Is a dream within a dream yeah. that he's telling to Kurt it's, Russell? Right. 
And he says, well, it means you're lonely or something. Right. Uh, but that's sort of the cue that, well, what part of this thing isn't surreal? You know, the... Yeah. If, you know, the fact that he's wearing that mask and he's in the in the jail and, you know, it's like, what kind of jail is this? Because they, they, they don't give you a lot of details about whether it's a jail or detention center or exactly where it is, you know. Yeah, I just thought there's not a lot of time. And, and Cameron Crowe is a kind of a guy that, in the story, he gives you the, you know, all these yeah. sort of little details are what make it interesting. Yeah, yeah, he's tr he's trying to figure out. So he sort of made it fuzzy around the edges of this picture that he's doing, or you can't really. But yeah, but well, we uh, you know, we will continue with our Cameron Crowe series. Okay. And stuff. What's next? What's our next? I was thinking of going back and doing Jerry Maguire, which I haven't seen since I was like eighteen or nineteen, and I remember it being good, but. Overrated. Jerry Maguire. I had very high expectations going in. Just a lot of it. But I don't think I could appreciate it at eighteen. So I really want to watch it again. Jerry, Jerry Maguire's got a lot of different dimensions uh, yeah. from society. From just yeah. it's such a sales-oriented, sports-oriented romance yeah. um, stuff. Uh, a movie in it. Just yeah. you know, it's, uh, all this philosophy. You have all these. It's. A docu almost a documentary in parts. You have these guys dropping in, giving their comments about what their you know life and advice. Well, let's not get into it now. But yeah. I, I like seeing Cameron Crowe's uh, his journey as a filmmaker right. and, and where his head his head is at yeah. at different times. And also, uh, last thing I want to say is, you know, Crews loves sci-fi. So like even like Minority Report, which is one of my favorites, yeah. is dealing with with memories. Yeah. And um, when Edge of Tomorrow came out, yeah. which is him doing a Groundhog Day thing, yeah. reliving the same thing, um, people brought up Vanilla Sky. It's, it's these weird high-concept uh, sci-fi movies with a love story yeah. that there's you know something wacky going on. And, yeah, some kind of a twist yeah. in the technology that... Yeah, but the, that Minority Report, you know, he's drawn to kind of that, that strange stuff. Sort of, yeah, tweaky, psycho. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, they make for they make for a, a good and, twist in the story. It's just that it, it's somehow this movie, the way that the plot is presented, is funky. It's like it doesn't really feel like there's you know, the the whole idea of the plot sort of hits you like in the last third of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the big reveal. It's it's a slow build to a big reveal. Yeah. And when you rewatch it, the, the slow build is kind of like, okay, let's kind of yeah get to it already. Yeah. No, it wasn't. You, you know, usually in sort of this sort of a. But Minority Report is so damn good. Yeah. Because that the whole twist there was, you can recreate the crime. Exactly how it was, and then, the psychic, beings. Yeah. Will they'll think? Oh, we've already seen. That prediction, yeah, and they're like, "Oh, it was actually a separate crime, but they thought it was the same, same crime because the guy yeah. recreated it, and that's how he didn't get caught." Yeah, so there was some cool, funky stuff there. Yeah. All right. Well, that's KCast for this week. This is Caleb. This is Chris. Keep dreaming, folks. Oh, God, yeah. not a song. That's the line Chris doesn't like.
Just a stranger.